0: Our uh, text is John chapter 9. And uh, so if you have a Bible with you, I'd like to invite you to turn to that text follow along. Last time we got as far as verse 7 of this chapter, which is the story of Jesus healing the man born blind. And... Uh, In the song, we pointed out that this man was the cause of a lot of arguments. And, in fact, in this chapter, I see four arguments. And he says, people argue over me. The first one we looked at last time. And that was, who sinned? This man or his parents? I don't think the disciples were the first people to ask that question. I think the man we learn later in the story was sitting there all the time. He was a beggar. Couldn't make a living because of his condition. And I think people passed by with that question in their minds. And we read that when Jesus passed by, he saw the man. They saw the questions. He saw the man. That was the first argument. Well, there's four more after that, and we're going to see if we can look at all four of these arguments today. Jesus saw the man, the disciples, and he says to the disciples, this man is not blind because of anyone's particular sin, but so that this could happen here today. And what exactly is this? The works of God might be displayed in him. That. And so the works of God were displayed in him, and Jesus did this strange thing. He spat on the ground, he made some mud, and he put the mud in the guy's eyes, and he said, Go wash in the pool of Siloam. So the man went and washed in the pool of Siloam and came back seeing. That's as far as we got last time. But what happened when he came back seeing? Well, there's four groups of people he encounters. Well, three groups and one and he encounters Jesus one more time before the end of this story. Four discussions of what happened. And of course, the point of everything in the book of John is to demonstrate who is Jesus. Well, the first group of people he encounters, we read about in verse 8, the neighbors. The neighbors. So these are people who are familiar with the guy. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar. So apparently where he was begging wasn't too far from where he lived, but anyway, he came back. We don't know exactly where he is now. Apparently Jesus is not there, or it's not the same place exactly. But when he comes back, people say, Hey, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? And really, if I translate this uh, more literally, isn't this the one who sits and begs? Isn't this the one who sits and begs? He's not sitting or begging. Apparently, he looks like the guy, but how could he be the guy? It's evident, but they're saying, isn't this the guy? And some of them are saying, no, it just looks like him. That's what it says here. Others said, no, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the guy. Yes, it's me. Yes, it's me. And everyone's going, is that the guy? Is that the guy? Yeah, it's me. It's me. Hello. Apparently they don't see him too clearly even now, but they can tell by looking at him things have changed. This guy obviously can see. He's walking around unassisted. He's doing whatever people who see he can do. And they're like, "Is this the guy?" No, he can't be the guy, but he sure does look like him. And he's saying, "No, it's me. It's me. It's me." It's kind of an argument. I can imagine them. Some of them looking at him and going, "Are, are you sure it's you?" So finally, he says, it's me, it's me, it's me. And they say, then how were your eyes opened? What happened? And he says, the man called Jesus. Now, this is the first time we realize that he knows it was Jesus. But anyway, he knows it was Jesus. The man called Jesus made mud, anointed my eyes, and said to me, "Go to Siloam and watch and wash." So I went and washed and received my sight. And they said to him, "Where is he?" And he said, "I don't know. <clears throat> Jesus has momentarily disappeared What are they going to do with this guy? Now, we might want to remember the question was, who sinned? What this, this guy's experience of suffering is the punishment of sin. That's the way we all think. And I'm not just talking about Jews in the first century. That's the way we all think. What did I do to deserve this? Or, I don't deserve this, what's wrong? Or, how often do we pass by someone experiencing some misfortune and say, I wonder what they did? Or, thank God, I'm not like that sinner. We're usually, we're usually more subtle than that. But we often think that people who are suffering in some misfortune well they must deserve it of course if we were honest with ourselves we'd realize nobody's getting as bad as they deserve the punishment for sin is eternal condemnation, separation from the living God, though that's what we all deserve but anyway they have an argument what do we do with this guy suddenly he can see he's not as bad as we thought he was suddenly so what do they do they brought him to the pharisees why would they do that well because the pharisees know the law the pharisees are our theological encyclopedia our point of reference for all things having to do with sin and righteousness and judgment and reward. Let's talk to the, let's bring him to the Pharisees. So they bring him to the Pharisees, the man who had formerly been blind. Now that, in the minds of the neighbors and others, is a settled fact at this point. This is the guy, they know, they know him, he, he knows. He says, it's me. Everyone says, oh, now you were blind, now you can see. How did that happen? He says, well, here's what happened. And they say, oh, well, we, we need to talk to the Pharisees about this. So they bring him to the Pharisees. And this is when John points out to us in the text that it was the Sabbath when all this happened. It was the Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and op- opened his eyes. So the Pharisees asked him again, how did you receive your sight? And he said, he put mud on my eyes and I washed and I see. He just says what happened. Some of the Pharisees said, this man now they're referring to jesus this man is not from god for he does not keep the sabbath others said how can a man who's a sinner do such signs so we read there was a division among them an argument he can't be from god because he broke the sabbath he but if he's not from God, how did he do this? <clears throat> so they ask the guy, what, what do you say? He says he's a prophet. So he takes a side in this argument. He's from God. Well, half of them, well, I don't know if it's half, but some of them say he can't be from God because he's not keeping the Sabbath. The other, some of them say, uh, but if he's not from God, how could he do this? And the blind man is on that side, except he's not saying it as a question. He's saying he is from God. He is a prophet. He's a prophet. Now, we might wonder, why do some of the Pharisees make this thing, say this thing that says, how could a sinner do such a sign? The answer to that question is in the Old Testament scriptures, where the sign of uh, giving sight to the blind is specifically connected to Messiah. It is one of those things that Isaiah says, we will see when the Lord comes. And so they're saying, well, this is, they don't just say, how can a sinner do a sign? They say, how can a sinner do such a sign? This kind of sign." And they have a very serious problem because this kind of sign identifies the Christ. And some of them say, but he's breaking the law. The Christ can't break the law. Now here's the thing. I went and read the law about the Sabbath. You know, it took me about 10 minutes to read everything in the books of Moses about the Sabbath. Here's what it says. Don't work on the Sabbath. Rest from your labor. In other words, you work during the week, but one day out of every week, the seventh day, you take and you don't work. And that day is holy to the Lord, so you you don't do business that day. In fact, even if you think the business is the business of the household, like preparing food, you don't do that. You, oh, well, and here's the thing they did while they were in the wilderness. They did not collect manna on the Sabbath. The Lord gave twice as much manna on the sixth day so that you'd have enough for the seventh day.
1: Now you know the whole law of the Sabbath. So when
0: these guys say he doesn't keep the Sabbath, on what basis do they make that judgment? Well, they make it on this basis. After the days of the exile, when the people of Israel came back to Israel in the days of Ezra and Nehemiah, In those days, the people of Israel got about a 100 times more careful about law-keeping. This is when the group we know as the Pharisees began to develop. And so they got so careful about law-keeping that they said, well, let's make some rules so that we obey the law. It's kind of like this. Suppose on the highway, there's a speed limit. You're not allowed to go more than, let's say, 40 whatevers. We come from a lot of different places, so take your pick, kilometers, miles, inches, I don't care. You're not allowed to go more than 40. And so we discovered that if anyone ever went over 40, their car exploded. Well, actually, not necessarily every time that happened, but one day this guy went over 40 and his car exploded. So we said, let's say 35. Now, what's the law say? 40. But what we say is 35, because 35 is safe on 40. Well, this is what the people of Israel did with the law, and especially the law of the Sabbath. They wrote a bunch of rules, one of which was you can't knead dough on the Sabbath. That was like a specific rule. And making clay was a form of kneading dough. I think I know why Jesus healed this blind man by making mud now. Because what Jesus wanted to do was break their rule. But Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath, and Jesus will remind us a hundred times over that the Sabbath is for man and not man for the Sabbath. And even if you, even on the Sabbath, if your cow somehow landed upside down in the ditch, you'd get them out. It's good to do a good thing on the Sabbath if you have to. And what could be better than to demonstrate that the Christ has Come. So Jesus breaks the rule without breaking the law. Jesus lived in perfect obedience to the law of God his whole life, and therefore we know (laughs) that this was not an actual law-breaking event, but it did mess with their rules. Anyway, they asked the guy, he says he's a prophet. So now we have this argument, and now we come to a third group of people And you see this in the text in verse uh, 18, the Jews. Now, that doesn't mean Jewish people in general. That means the Jewish rulers. And he changes from Pharisees to the Jews in verse 18. So I believe what we're having here is the introduction of another class of people, So he says to the Pharisees, they have this discussion among the Pharisees, and now it's kind of like they're taking it to court, to the ruling class. And, And one reason is, one reason I think this is, the Pharisees don't dispute much about whether the guy can see or whether he used to be blind but now can see. But now the Jews did not believe that he had been blind. In other words, they're questioning what actually happened. So they called the guy's parents. (laughs) And they said, is this your son who you say was born blind? Who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? Now, his parents sort of knew what was going on here, so they're, uh, well, truthful maybe without being completely honest. You know how that works, right? We know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But how he now sees, we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eye. I think that might not actually be true. They say, but they, that's what they're saying. Ask him. <laughs> the parents are like, why do they, why are, these, these parents are like throwing their kid under the bus here. What's going on? He's, they say, ask him. He's a grown man. He's of age. He can speak for himself. And then John explains why they were behaving this way. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed. So there's been uh, something going on in the history of events already, right? This isn't the first thing out of the box with this Jesus character. They've already decided what they think of him. And they've already decided what to do with people who think otherwise. Because they have already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Now, we could say, you know, if anyone did this, that, or the other thing, we'd put him out of the church, and nobody here would get too worried about that. But if we were in first century Israel and someone threatened to put us out of the synagogue, our church, our assembly, this would be great cause for concern. Because you that is literally casting you out of society. And it would be a disaster in every respect. You would have a hard time making a living if they put you out of the synagogue. All of your friends would have to choose between remaining your friends and remaining in the synagogue. So that was a serious threat, and these parents knew it, and so they said all they could say with that fear. He's of age. Ask him. So they asked him. Second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. This is a prejudged case. And when they say, give glory to God, they're saying something to this effect stop lying. Give glory to God. Tell the truth. We know Jesus is a sinner. He says, well, I don't know if he's a sinner or not. Here's what I know. I was blind. Now I can see. (laughs) Here's what I know. I was blind. Now I
1: can see. now when
0: he says whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know, I think that's rhetorical. He already said he's a prophet, so I'm pretty sure he's convinced he's not a sinner, but he's just saying, look, you know what you know, I know what I know, you know he's a sinner, I know I used to be blind and now I can see, I used to be blind and now I can see. Hello.
1: And they say, how?
0: What did he do? Like they didn't already know, like he hadn't already told them that three times already, and he says, I already told you that. And then he makes a very interesting observation. You would not listen. I told you, but you don't want to hear it. Why do you want to hear it again? And then he gets what we call snarky. Do you also want to become his disciples? This guy is exhibiting some bravery. Why? I was blind and now I can see, that's why. Do you also, also want to be his disciples? What's that tell you about what he wants? I wish I could get out of all of these stupid arguments and go find the guy, because he's the one I really want to talk to about this. So he says to them, do you also want to be his disciples? Man, you can just see the smug in their response. We are disciples of Moses. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses. But as for this man, we don't know where he comes from. Although they're pretty sure it's not from God. We don't know where he comes from. This is where I really start to like the blind man. I mean, the man who used to be blind. He says, Why? This is an amazing thing. That's am- he looks at these men and he says, That is amazing. That's amazing.
1: You don't know where he comes from. And yet, he opened my eyes.
0: That's amazing. We know God doesn't listen to sinners. Now he's sort of filling in that other argument, like how could a sinner do this? He says, we know God doesn't listen to sinners. If anyone's a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. He's reminding them that in the Old Testament prophecies, this is a, this is a sign unique. A man born blind. He's not blind because of some disease he got when he was 10. He's been blind from the beginning. Christ has opened his eyes and he's saying, This is amazing. How can you say we don't know where he's from? If this man were not from God, he could not do this, he could do nothing. I can see a certain amount of curious pity from the man who used to be blind. How can you guys not see this? What do they say? This has to be one of the most tragic sentences in the scripture, or maybe in the history of the world. They say... They answered him. He says, How can you not see it? And they say, You were born in utter sin and you would teach us? (laughs) And they cast him out. They threw the messianic miracle out of the synagogue. Why? I think you get a big clue in that question. You, would you teach us? This is about some sort of self-righteous pride. You notice what they say. You were born in utter sin. That's what they say. You were born in utter sin. Why do they say that? Well, what do we know about this guy? He was born blind. That's what we know. And because he was born blind, their judgment is he was born in utter sin. They are back to the judgment the disciples were making at the beginning of this story. His, the fact that he's born blind is a sign of his unworthiness, his unrighteousness. And these guys can look at themselves and say, because we're healthy or rich or whatever, we're blessed, that we are not in utter sin like You. Now they're still somehow completely ignoring the fact that he can see now. You were born in sin. You teach us out. You're out. See, these people were threatened by Jesus. Because Jesus is bringing the righteousness of God available to us because of his grace and not because of our works. The law we read, the letter kills. This is what the law does, all those Sabbath laws that we're all so worried about, and that we think we're keeping, all those righteous deeds we think we're doing, if we really read the law, if we read it the way it really is, we would all be killed by it. It is only condemning. It is God's explanation of how sin has wrecked us. And we are lost and hopeless apart from this guy showing up and (laughs) opening this man's eyes. well finally he's cast out now the argument's over it's been decided we don't only not want Jesus we don't want anyone who does want Jesus and he says Jesus heard they would cast him out and found him and said do you believe in the son of man that's a Son of Man, by the way, is a euphemism for Messiah. It's an Old Testament phrase. It comes from the book of Daniel, where the Son of Man is the prince that redeems God's people. He answered, Who is he, sir? That's interesting. Who is he? And this reminds me oh, yeah, what did he say about Jesus? He's a prophet, he's from God. I know he's from God. And so when Jesus says, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He doesn't realize Jesus is talking about himself. So he says, Just tell me who he is and I will. I know if you tell me who he is, whoever you identify to be the Christ is the Christ and I will believe in that. That's what he says. And Jesus says, You have seen him. You have seen him, and he is speaking to you right now. And the man said, Lord, I believe. And then John says, He worshipped him. So we know he believed, and he believed this is the Christ, this is the, this is the Lord himself, this is God-made man right here before my eyes. And because he opened my eyes, I can lay my eyes on him. And he is the one, and the man fell on the ground in worship. This is the second miracle, by the way. There's a couple of miracles. One, his physical eyes were opened. Second, he believed. His spiritual sight was given. Like that text we read from Second Corinthians today. If we've come to faith in Christ, that's a, that's a sight-giving miracle. Now, Jesus says, for judgment I came into the world, for a separation. That those who don't see may see, and those who do see might become blind. And he's, a, he's claiming a messiahship here also, based on the writings of Isaiah because in Isaiah the Lord makes people see and he makes people blind. And in Isaiah people are said to not recognize Messiah because they they are willfully blind. And so the Pharisees near him heard this and they said, "So we're blind." And then Jesus says this sort of classic Jesus sentence, "If you were blind, you'd have no guilt. But now that you say, "We see, your guilt remains." <laughs> I'm like, "What? Do you have this reaction? "If you were blind, you'd have no guilt, but now that you say you see, we see now that you say, we see, your guilt remains." This is a way of saying, uh, "Yeah, you're blind." and saying you're not blind at the same time. But anyway, who are the blind people in this story? They are the people who don't see the Son of Man in Christ. The whole point of this story is, who, when you see Jesus, who do you see? When you see him work this miracle, do you see it? You know, this is true of all miracles. A miracle is a case in which God alters the natural course of things. When by God's personal intervention, something changes that otherwise wouldn't happen that way. A blind man can see. There's two things that happen. One is the change that blind man can see. The other other thing is, it was God who did it. The first thing here was kind of indisputable, though they had a little test is it really the guy? Is it really the guy? Is that re- did this really happen? We would all react that way, right? If I heard about some blind man that suddenly could see for no reason, I'd be skeptical. I'd say, was he really blind? And can he really see? But in this case, yeah. It becomes indisputable. And but then the question is, is it God? It's also indisputable that it was Jesus. But the question is, is it God? And the thing that separates the judgment of Christ is those who see him and those who don't. Those to whom he gives sight and those who don't receive it. And they say, are we also blind? And that's a question for everyone. Are we also blind? Do we recognize the hand of God in the life of Jesus? Do we recognize the hand of God in the death of Jesus? Do we recognize the hand of God in the resurrection of Jesus? The scripture teaches that Jesus rose from the dead, literally, in his body. The same body that died got out of the grave and was alive and permanently alive and not subject to death any longer. That is what we say is a fact of history. And then we could have an argument. Did it really happen or did it not happen? People say, well, I don't really believe that happened. That kind of thing doesn't happen. And you say, well, right, that's why it's a miracle. It only happened the one time. That's how it distinguishes him to be who he is. But I could have an argument. Did it happen or did it not happen? All the historical evidence says it happened. And the way people avoid that reality is they don't look. And when they look, they don't see it because they don't want to. And we know this in the New Testament. It says it over and over again. People have hard hearts. No one sees it. We're all blinded. Unless the Lord alleviates this condition with a miracle. So, if you are sitting here today and you have come to faith in Christ, you have experienced a miracle like this one. You were blind, and now you can see. And here's what I suggest you say to people who ask you about your faith I was blind. But now I see. I used to not know Christ. And now I realize who he is. And what he has done. And how the love of God has been showered on me by what he did. I used to be blind. At one time I couldn't see. And now I do see. Can't you see it? That's what the blind guy said. He said, It's amazing to me that you can't see it. Hear these guys, it's right he is standing there with his eyes open and they can't see it. It must have been very frustrating for him. Pray. Pray. Pray if anyone is going to see it on the basis of your testimony that you used to be blind and now you can see it, the Spirit of God must open their eyes. Ask Him. We're thinking about having our, well, we're not thinking about it, we're having our open house here in a few weeks, a chance to invite people that we know, people we care about, people we work with, whoever, and you'll see in that announcement in the bulletin, it says, start thinking about who you want to ask and start praying. Pray that those people will experience what you experienced and that one day they're going to hear the gospel and their eyes are going to pop open and they are going to see it. And then when they, see, when they hear the word of Jesus, you've seen him, and it's him who's speaking to you, they will say, Lord, I believe and worship him. Father, we give you thanks for your grace is good. We thank you for working this miracle in our own lives. Father, we pray that you'd help us to be true to it, not depending on what we do, but living in the miracle that you have worked in our own lives. Father, help us. Fill us with the Spirit of God that gives this clear vision. Lord, we pray for those people we know who haven't seen it yet. Father, we so beg you to open their eyes so that they will also come to faith in Christ. For all these things we give you thanks.
1: Amen.